All right. Joining us right now is former Orioles roving pitching instructor or director of pitching operations, Rick Peterson, longtime MLB pitching coach for several teams, the Oakland A's, the Milwaukee Brewers, New York Mets, and he's a friend of mine, Rick Peterson. Rick, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Stan? Good, and you remember my co-host, Craig Heist? Yep, absolutely. How are you doing, Craig? I'm good. Good. Uh, getting set for some World Series play around this area. Not with the Orioles, but with the Nationals. Yeah, and we like to call it the World Series. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. Now, uh, that that starting rotation of the Washington Nationals, how carefully have you watched them in this postseason, Rick? You know, I've watched a good bit of it. You know, I mean, it's kind of challenging sometimes when you have, like, multiple games on. Um, but I've gone back and forth, and I'll tell you what, I mean, where they are right now, they're in as good a place as anybody in, in baseball. And I think it just goes to show you, like, how fragile the, the postseason is. I mean, people had the Dodgers going to the World Series when the season started, but you got to play the games. And, and I think it really shows the resilience the resiliency and, and and also the what do I say the ups and downs the bumps in the road of, of what a 162 game schedule is because it is a it is a major major marathon and for whatever reason the media right now you know because they want to like have all these great stories you know so they're already like talking about who's in the playoffs when it gets to the all-star break right. but you know they, they haven't got there yet and and they think just because the team has done so well but but I think the other big factor is that when you get into a short season, so for example, let, let's take let's take the Nets. Strasburg, you know, missed some time this year, um, or Scherzer missed some time as well. So so what what is, I'm not even sure exactly. Do you know how many starts that they all had? Did they uh, have like around 20, yeah, well, 22 starts? No no starts? no. Strasburg made most of his starts. I don't think he, he missed. Probably had thirty one. Thirty one or thirty two. But uh, Scherzer. Missed uh, with the back and the uh, shoulder, the shoulder injury. Uh, six or probably six or seven starts from about the All-Star break right before then up until when he came back at the end of August. So he had about, what, 24, 25? I would probably think so, yeah. yes. Yep. Right, right around there. Right, and and, and, Corb, and Corbin had what? Did he, did he make all 30-plus 30 30 of his yeah, starts? I think yeah, he, I think he made all of his starts this year. Right, so when you look at those three guys pitching, you know, so, so they pitched – you know, roughly, what is that, 60 and 80, they, they roughly pitched about close to 50% of their games, you know, a little bit less than 50% of their games. You get, in a, you get into a seven-game series, those three guys are going to pitch probably six of those seven games. So that, that's the big difference in the postseason that I don't think people really realize because they look at offensive numbers from the opposing team that they're facing, and they're going, look at these, like, like when you look at, the Astros and the Yankees. I mean, the numbers that they threw up during the season offensively are just off the charts. But 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 what happens is they're facing, you know, like over half their games, they're facing the four and five, you know, four and five starters of the other teams, and and the other team's number three starter isn't anywhere close to what Corbin is, you know. So when you look at that, or you know, Sanchez you start to realize how, how fragile the postseason is. That's my point. Right, or Sanchez for that matter. I mean, here's a guy that started zero six. And he winds up winning 12 games, 13 games, and uh, winds up throwing no-hit ball in that first uh, yep. uh, that first game against the Cardinals. And that was the other point. You know, the Cardinals don't score an earned run in that series until the fourth game in the fifth inning. Yeah, that's incredible. Cool. That's yeah. incredible. Really incredible. 
Rick, um, they really were incredible. I want to ask you one thing. Normally, the the Nationals have won 16 out of their last 18 games, including the regular season. Normally, you don't want any time off when you're on a when you're on the momentum, the positive momentum swing. Is there a possibility though that this time that their pitchers could use the the sort of decompression time? and a little bit of regathering of themselves, and it's a help? What do you think? Well, yeah, well, their pitchers, it's not going to affect their pitching. It's going to, it's going to affect their offense. You know, and, and that's something that you always get concerned about during the season and coming back off the, the All-Star break because you, know, you can go into the break on fire and come back the opposite or vice versa. Um, you know, so th- this, this layoff to me is going to be – it, it's really concerning to me for the for the offense. It's not going to affect the pitching at all because the pitchers the pitchers can go to the game mound and throw game stuff. You know they, they can do that. hitters. You know and and you you're really you're not really crazy about doing inter squads because you're afraid like someone's going to get hit. You know you don't want and you don't want your pitching. You know you're dominating pitching facing your your offense. You know and then you you don't want to bring up young kids like from instructional league. You know, so hitters can face live pitching because, you know, you're just a little concerned about the command. You know, someone gets nicked by a pitch and hitting the wrist or something or hitting the elbow and, you know, now you miss time. You know, so it, it really is kind of tricky. And, and, I, and I think you, you're not going to know until you come back, but come back until you start to play again, you know, which is going to be, what, Tuesday? Yeah, right. So, so when you look at the, the pitching that they're going to face coming back in, you know, from either the Yankees or or the Astros, either one. You know, and and especially if the Astros clinch now, now now you're getting Cole for three games, right? Probably. Well, here, here's you know, the other. So, here's the other thing uh, with with the numbers that you uh, were, were were wondering about. Scherzer made 27 starts. Corbin and Strasburg 33 each, and Sanchez 30. So you you look at those four guys. That, that's a lot of pitching. It is, and you know what? That was very similar to what the, the kind of starting pitching that we had when I was in Oakland. Yeah, you know, like Mulder, Hudson, Zito. You know, they those guys almost never went on a DL, and you know, you 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 can count on picking up ninety games from those three guys. You know, which is incredible, and and I think that's what you know that that's why exactly the reason that you just stated right there of those starts. That's why the Nats were able to overcome this this you know really rough start that they had. Because when you have that kind of starting pitching, and and, and everybody's going to bullpenning, the reason people are going to bullpenning because they don't have that starting pitching, right? You know, and, and and I I know, you know, I know Rizzo. He's a big proponent of how to build a team. One of his big backbones of that team is dominant starting pitching, yep. and you know they, they've built the team the way the traditional teams have been built, and that that's why I think you know it really just goes to show how dominating they can be. We're talking to Rick Peterson, uh, extraordinary pitching coach uh, and a motivational speaker. And Rick, uh, tell folks your book, uh, Crunch Time, uh, and I forget the subtitle of the book, but it's Crunch Time. Uh, tell us a little bit about the focus of that book. Well, the name of the book is Crunch Time, How to Be Your Best When It Matters Most. And, and it's all about elite athletes and elite business leaders and their ability to reframe a pressure situation and shift it from a threat to an opportunity. And it was, it was really a, you know, it, it's really a, a combination or, or a copulation, I, I would say of, of, of really understanding how people deal with fear, worry, and doubt 
and how people overcome that fight, flight, or freeze, you know, moment. Because when you take a look at like professional sports, and especially because it's what we're talking about here on, on the show, but you look at professional sports and, you know, and, and just, just think of, of anybody that you really admire in your game or, or in life for that matter and say like, wow, this is like one of my heroes. The, 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 what makes that those people so special is that they've overcome the adversity in their life. Everybody has adversity. Everybody goes through the fear, worry, and doubt of life. Everybody deals with pressure on a daily basis, whether it's career, financial, family pressure. But the people who are most successful are the people that have a great attitude, and they're able to look at this as, as part of daily life, and they're able to shift it from a threat to an opportunity. We're talking to Rick Peterson. Uh and we're in the live casino hotel studio. Rick, uh, the, the, the book, you co-wrote it with somebody. I don't have my notes in front of me today, uh, but you co-wrote it with somebody. Whose idea was the book? Was it the writer came to you, or you went to him and said, hey, I got a great idea for a book? No, this is really a combination of, of many people across my career. When I was in Oakland, and I was there when Michael Lewis came to write to write the book Moneyball, and actually he came he came to spring training to write an article for the New Yorker magazine. And after three weeks of being in spring training and interviewing everybody for, for over that period of time, he called his publisher and said, "You know, look, this is a bestseller." And Michael and Michael Lewis was a Wall Streeter. He had yeah. written Liar's yeah. Poker. That was his that was his first uh, big 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 seller. And of course, he wrote The Big Short and and Blindside. You know, three of his books have become Academy Award-winning movies. And I sat, the, I sat next to Michael Lewis on the team bus the entire season. And Michael always would say, like, you know, you, you really need to write a book, Rick, you know? And I said, I'm not writing a book about me. and I'm not writing a book about baseball. But if I could meet the right person and really write the message about, you know, what makes people so so special, that what makes them so successful is the fact that, that they're able to perform their best under pressure. I mean, that's what makes them so unique. You know, and then you, you know, you look at like all these examples that have gone on for all these years. I remember listening to an interview um, with Derek Jeter and they asked Derek, they said, Derek, do you ever get nervous? You ever get nervous in a big game? He goes, yeah, when my teammates are batting, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and then you look at Tom Brady, you know, when they were down by 21 points in the Super Bowl and he comes into the locker room, you know, everybody's hanging their heads and he brings all his team together. He goes, guys, listen, we have the, we have the opportunity to have the greatest comeback right. win in Super Bowl history. He looked at it as an opportunity. And and so when you really look at what makes people so special, and one thing that was really cool, when I was a young coach with the Chicago White Sox, I was there when Michael Jordan was playing baseball, and right. I was actually co-directing the sports psychology program at that time. And I had a chance to, to get to know Michael well. And I asked Michael one day, I said, Michael, was there ever like a moment, was there like a moment in your life that you realized like, holy geez, like I'm MJ. I'm like one of the most prominent players ever. He said, actually, there was. He said, after my sophomore year in college, Coach Smith brought me in. He said, Michael, I want you to watch this videotape. And he had practice footage and game footage of about 30-second clips, and Mm -hmm. he scrambled them. And he said, I want you to tell me what what year each one of these clips are from. And he said also that Coach Smith had told me, Michael, you're one of the greatest physical talents of our time. Mm -hmm. You have more talent than anybody in today's game. So after he went through the videotape, he said sophomore, freshman, freshman, sophomore, and identified each clip. And afterwards, Coach Smith said, so what's your takeaway, Michael? And basically what Michael said was, he said, you know what? My freshman year, I had a great year. I had a great year. Mm-hmm. And I prepared great. 
my sophomore year, I had a really, really good year, and I prepared really good. And I understood at that moment, with the talent that I have, that talent does not equal performance. Preparation equals performance. And I knew that if I prepared great on a daily basis, and I knew that the price to pay to be best didn't come cheaply, it doesn't go on sale, you can't go to, you don't get coupons for it, you can't go to Marshalls or Target, you got to pay full price. And that, he said, that was the moment that I realized, like, wow, I can be one of the greatest players of all time. And those are the kind of stories that are in the book. How hard is it to get people and athletes, uh, especially, and just, I'm just referring to baseball in general, but just how tough is it to get guys to buy into that? It really isn't at all, because the one thing that about every everybody that plays, they all want to be best. I mean, they have a burning desire to be best. You can't get to the major league level without wanting to be best. And, and it's only, and it's not just best, best player, but it's being the best person. Because in order to stay in the big leagues a long period of time, you have to be a major league person first. And, and I've had the privilege of coaching Hall of Famers for Hall of Famers. I coached Roy Halladay, Tom Glavin, Pedro Martinez, and Trevor Hoffman. And, and the one common thing with all those guys is that, you know, they're, they're Hall of Fame people without question. And that's a prerequisite to become a Hall of Fame player. So when those guys go through tough times, if you have something to offer them, you know, like like when you say, like, buy into it. So take a look at Garrett Cole and Verlander and look at the difference of the kind of pitcher they are going to Houston where they were for, as opposed to Detroit and Pittsburgh. Right. Why? Be, why? Because they got there and their analytic team opened up the books and showed them, like, listen, here's a different way that you, you have different tools that you're not using in this toolkit. And if you use these tools right here, we're going to show you statistically why you can be so much better than what you've been in the past. How tough is that to get them to buy into it? You don't think they want to back up? You think they'd rather strike somebody out than go back up third? Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, hey Rick, um, you and I have talked. We've gotten to know each other over the past couple of years. It's mostly been on the phone and on this program. I told you one time, and I don't know if you remember this, I argued with Kevin Malone, who was the assistant GM here in Baltimore. This is about 18 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. 21 years ago, he he was a firm believer that Arthur Rhodes was going to be a major league star as a starting pitcher, and I told him that I thought Arthur Rhodes was a better relief pitcher. And I mentioned this idea to you a couple of years ago, and you chose to go in a different direction. It was about Kevin Gosman. My feelings were exactly the same that Gosman would be a better relief pitcher than a starting pitcher, and you said, I could fix Gosman, what's ailing him right now. Uh, I know what he's doing wrong and all this. But are there certain people that it's actually better for them to come to the park that night and not know whether they're going to be used or not versus having four or five days of not knowing how to prepare? Well, you bring up multiple different points here, yeah. Stan. So, so, so you have one issue. One is is the reason that that you thought that Kevin Gosman and Arthur Rhodes would be a better reliever because they don't have the mind to flip a lineup over three times? Uh, or is it because you don't think they have the weapons? So if you if you break felt, down Kevin Gosman... Let me answer the question. I felt that they were better not sort of having the four or five days that they didn't know how to prepare versus coming to the park and needing to be prepared that night to pitch. Does that make any right. sense? So, so, you're, 
So, right. So your point is, you don't think they had the mind to do this? Yes, correct. You're because... not. You're not talking about because when you break down the starting pitcher, yeah, a good starting pitcher in the big leagues, they have to be able to throw to locate their fastball to four four quadrants of the of, of the strike zone. They have to have it, probably two different two different off speed pitches, secondary pitches right. that have two different speeds and two different types of movement that they can tunnel pitches, you know, from, from, from different places and different quadrants. A relief pitcher is probably a two pitch pitcher, right. more, more, much more a two pitch pitcher than, than a three pitch pitcher. And, and most relievers, like you take a look at Chapman, go look at Chapman's numbers as a starter in the minor leagues. He was awful. He doesn't have the command to be, to be a starting pitcher. Correct. Agreed. But, but all right. So Kevin Gosman, Kevin Gosman, when we signed Kevin Gosman, when I was in Baltimore, mm-hmm. and, and I can only compare it to other guys that I've had, Kevin Gosman had the physical ability every bit as good as a Mulder Hudson Zito. Every right. bit as good right. as one of those three guys, without question. Now, so when you're talking about they don't know how to prepare for five days, what do you think a major league pitching coach is supposed to do? They're supposed to teach them how to prepare. Right, exactly. Yeah. But I also think, right. I also so, think so, in the case of Gosman, I thought he was damaged by the fact that the club never took its time developing him as well and teaching him how to pitch at the minor league level. The, the issue with Kevin Gosman is the fact that we had so many multiple different philosophies in, in the organization when I was there. I'm not going to get into the details of yeah. that, but we had different philosophies. And and I came from a Moneyball philosophy mm-hmm. and – and, and and we you know we were we were the you know we were the beginning of taking a look at all this data this kind of stuff that we fell into mm-hmm. like I'll, I'll give you like a major point of one of the things that we fell into at that point you don't hear the analytic you don't hear any analytic or and that analysts talk about this point so I went to Paul DiBattista one day and I said Paul can you run some numbers or is there data on total batters faced like our pitching staff. And the, the amount of total batters face that the other team sends the home plate as it relates to winning percentage. Is there any data on that? So he came back after going through some research and said, came back and said, yeah, here it is right here. So if, if you face 27 batters, you're going to win every game. If you play nine innings and your team scores one run, right? Yeah. It's a perfect game. You go 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33. You keep going, and your winning percentage keeps dropping by fractions. Mm-hmm. Then you get to a certain number, and your winning percentage would be just – it was just over 60%. We would win about 61 62% of the games. The next batter that came to home plate was the biggest drop-off of winning percentage. It dropped by over 20%. It dropped down to 40%. Wow. And, and back in that day, it was 38 total batters. You would win 61% of the games. The 39th batter coming to home plate, that, 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 that was when, we were, when I was in Oakland. Right. That we're playing Seattle and Texas. That's A-Rod coming to the home plate for the fifth time. Right, right. Now, now, now what you've seen because of the analytics and, and team bringing in analytic teams. Yep. You know, to, to look at all this research, now what you're seeing is teams are batting their best hitter second. Right. Why? That's the 38th total batter faced. Okay. So they moved, they moved the 39th guy to 38. Wow. That's really fascinating. Your winning percent. Right. You don't hear anybody talk about that. No, you don't at all. It's the first right, time I've ever the reason, heard it. That, 
That's the reason why. So every team, once they started looking at this, they start going, well, Trout's hitting second, Judge is hitting second. Right, right. They're putting their best guy hitting second. And then you start running those numbers over the course of 162 games. And now you take a look at, for example, I don't know what the number is, but now you're looking at, like, say, 45 more at-bats if you're hitting second as opposed to third. Well, go take a look at what Trout does in 45 at-bats. So it had to do with how you run your bullpen because they would say, like, and we, this whole thing of, like, this bullpenning right now, we didn't we didn't need the bullpen, just like the Nats don't need a bullpen because we had dominant starting pitching. But we, we took we were looking at these numbers of what happens when you get through the lineup for the third time. There's only a handful of pitchers in the game. Strasburg happens to be one of them. That his his batting average against him goes down the third time through right, the lineup. Right. right. That that's why he's so dominant. Rick, I got so fascinated with talking with you that I'm running late for my next guest. Can we do this again <laughs> in a few weeks? Mm-hmm. I love sure, ta- absolutely. I, I love talking baseball with you. Rick Peterson, the book is Crunch Time, How to Be Your Best When It Matters Most. That was And one you of can the... check out check out rickpetersoncoaching.com. All right. We'll do it. I'll call you back in a couple weeks, all right? You got it, Sam. Be well. All right. Thank you. Rick Peterson.